Thanks again, team, for leading us into God's presence. Turning your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, when I was a new Christian many, many years ago, uh, someone taught me how to find the various letters of Paul. Uh, they assumed I could find Romans and First and Second Corinthians because those are the biggest and longest and first. Uh, but then they, they told me, this is how you remember this. So if you want to find Thessalonians and some other books, here's what you do. Go eat popcorn, Colossians and Thessalonians, and take some to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon as well. Go eat popcorn, G-E-P, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go eat popcorn, Colossians and Thessalonians. And take some to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. There, you have all of Paul's letters. You know exactly where they are. So turn to 1 Thessalonians 1. Now, the theme of Thessalonians is renewed hope. The reason why the theme is renewed hope is because Paul and Silas and Timothy, after planting the church in Thessalonica, were persecuted and kicked out. Now, Thessalonians is probably the second letter of Paul we have in Scripture, the second earliest. Galatians was probably written around 48 uh, A.D. That was written to some churches in what is now southern Turkey. And Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians from the city of Corinth, about 50 A.D. Now, the reason why the theme of 1 Thessalonians is hope is because these were brand new Christians. As far as we know, this church was only two to three months old, and all of them were new Christians. And they were being persecuted, and they were alone. They didn't have Paul or Silas or Timothy They had each other, and they had the Lord. And Paul writes 1 Thessalonians as soon as he has an opportunity to renew their hope. What is your hope quotient this morning? I have talked to many, many people throughout these past two years. And for many, hope or lack thereof has become a real struggle. What would your hope quotient be? Or to put in a little bit more of a curious way, how much yellow is in your life right now? Uh, One of my professors at Trinity Divinity School, I went to, to seminary in Chicago was named Scott McKnight. Uh, Scott McKnight has written a book called The Jesus Creed. And in the book, he tells the story of the famous Dutch uh, painter, Vincent van Gogh. You may not know this, but Vincent van Gogh was actually raised in a Christian home. He actually applied to seminary. He was a missionary for a season And then he chucked and gave up the faith. Periodically, however, he would sort of wander back to his foundations. And during those times, his hope actually increased. Now, I don't know if you know much about Vincent van Gogh, but he was a troubled man. 
spent many years in a depressive state, engaged in self-destructive behavior. He's the guy who cut off his own left ear. What McKnight brings out, which is really interesting, is that you can tell the hope quotient in Van Gogh's life by looking at the appearance of yellow in his paintings. One of his most famous paintings is called The Starry Night. You see it's very dark, especially in the town. The only light is in the heavens, in nature. And Van Gogh had a depressive state and was really struggling to find hope. And you'll notice especially in the middle at the bottom is a large church. And the church is completely absent of yellow. Van Gogh is finding no hope in the church at all. In one of his more spiritual moods, he painted the painting, The Raising of Lazarus. And in this painting, the entire thing is bathed in yellow. He's filled with hope. He's filled with so much hope that if you know anything about Van Gogh and what he looks like, he's actually painted himself as Lazarus as he is rediscovering hope in the resurrection. Now, the problem with Van Gogh is his hope was up and down like a yo-yo. How about in your life? How much yellow right now would be on the canvas of your story if it was painted? Or as you think about your relationship to the church, do you find the church is the place that you run to to have hope dispensed afresh in your soul? Because that is God's desire. If 1 Thessalonians was a book that Paul not only wrote but read, it would be entirely highlighted in yellow. Every word highlighted to renew and restore and refresh our hope. Now remember, there's a huge difference between worldly hope and biblical hope. Worldly hope is an uncertain wish that circumstances in your life will change based on the strength of your desires. That's worldly hope. Not much there. Biblical hope, by contrast, is a certain sureness of expected good based on the promises of God and the strength of his faithfulness. Paul writes, not that we might have worldly hope, but that we might have solid, certain expectation of good based on the promises of God in Christ 
the future return and the coming of Jesus based on the strength of the faithfulness of God. You need hope? We all do. Let's all stand out of reverence for God. Follow along with me as I read 1 Thessalonians. Again, we're just we're going to start really slow out of the blocks, but we'll pick up pace. But we're just going to cover three verses again today, and we're going to cover the same three verses next week. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1-3. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering for, before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, an authoritative word. Folks, this is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he longs to refresh and restore and renew our hope. Let's pray. Father, as we stand before you now, we cry out for a fresh realization of the hope that we have in Christ. Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit who gives hope. And God, our Father, you are the God of all hope. We thank you for this time together. Teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So there are three sources of renewed, restored hope in this passage. We covered the first source last week. By the way, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to download the podcast, to get on the website, because there's so much important background and context that we covered last week. And the first source of renewed hope that we looked at was to place our hope or find our hope in the good providence of God. We talked about the need to embrace curiosity when it comes to trials and troubles and tribulations and suffering and pain in our lives, realizing that God's good providence means that He's accomplishing unseen graces in our lives. Now, if you remember, we also talked about the second missionary journey, which is when the church of Thessalonica was founded. I don't want to put up that map again, just briefly. Uh, after the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, where the elders of the churches decided, what do we do with Gentile Christians? How do they relate to the Old Testament? Uh, <clears throat> and they sort of talked about what I talked about this morning, the continuity and progression of the covenant of grace. So Paul then had a letter. He was taken to the churches. If you look at the green, those are the churches of Galatia. And uh, that's where Paul went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. And he went back to Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and he told them about the Jerusalem council. In the city of Lystra, that's where he picked up Timothy. So he lost Barnabas because of their disagreement, but he picked up 
Timothy and Silvanus and, and Luke as well. And then Paul wanted to go into Asia, the orange, Laodicea and Ephesus and Sardis and Pergamum, all those places that we have the letters, uh, the seven letters to the churches um, in the book of Revelation. And God wouldn't allow him to go into Asia. And then he wanted to go north, uh, the light green, Bithynian Pontus, and, and God wouldn't allow him to do that either. Now imagine how frustrated it would be to be on a missionary journey. There are places you want to go to preach the gospel, and God says no. And we talked about how we often experience things like that in life. Things that we want to do, things that we think we want to do for God, and God says no. And yet behind it all is a good providence because God is up to something that we couldn't imagine. And so we find renewed hope as we trust in the good providences of God, that he's up to things we can't see. And sure enough, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, the upper far left, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and the man of Macedonia says, hey, come here. So the reason why God said no to Asia and Bithynia was because God had plans for Paul to go to Macedonia. So then Paul goes to Philippi, and a church is planted, but immediately they're persecuted and they're kicked out. So then Paul is forced to go to Thessalonica, and all the persecution that Paul's scratching his head, God, why would you call me to plant churches and then kick me out well it was God's good providence to plant more churches the persecution just kept kicking Paul out from one city to another and as a result in one city after another another church was planted what is there happening in your life that you do not understand that you're frustrated by that you don't see how there could be any good And yet God in his good providence is up to things you can't imagine. So be willing to embrace the curiosity of God's good providence. And you will find more yellow on the canvas of your life. And then we come to this morning, the second source of hope. And that is, find renewed hope in the sweetness of community. Look, our soul hope is in Jesus Christ. But Jesus tends to dispense his hope through the body of Christ. Through the sweet community with other believers, God renews and restores our hope. Now, there's something very unique about the introduction, the greeting to 1 Thessalonians. Look at it again. Verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. Now you think, (laughs) okay, what's so unique about that? Well, if you read the rest of Paul's letters, he tends to say, Paul, an apostle, sent from God to the church blah, blah, blah. Or he'll say, Paul, an apostle, sent from God, and Timothy, and Sosthenes, and whomever, to the church. Only in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians does Paul group him, 
and Silvanus and Timothy together. It's almost as if Paul feels such a kinship, such a bond, that he can't even write on his own. Some scholars even wonder whether Spirit of God actually inspired the three of them together to collaborate to write 1 Thessalonians. It really wouldn't matter, would it? Because it's inspired by the Spirit. The point is there was a sweetness of community between Paul and Silvanus and Timothy that led to them experiencing renewed hope. Now, what can we learn from their sweet community that applies to us? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you four, four reasons why Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy experienced renewed hope through the sweetness of their fellowship. First of all, they suffered together. God often renews and refreshes our hope as we suffer together in community. The first city they went to in Macedonia was Philippi. Paul and Silas were arrested. We don't know why Timothy wasn't, but Paul and Silas were. Remember the account in Acts, the Philippian jailer? They had been beaten. They're in jail. They're in chains. The cells are locked. You can just, sometimes we, we, we don't allow ourselves to get into the story enough. They've been beaten. Paul looks at Silas, you look terrible. Silas laughs, you should see you. And Paul says, hey, let's start singing. And Acts tells us that Paul and Silas at midnight started singing hymns of praise to God. And as they sang, their hope was renewed. One of the ways God renews our hope is by sharing with one another in our suffering. Now, what that assumes, first of all, is that we're in a, a fellowship, in a community, where we're willing to be vulnerable and transparent about our suffering. One of the values of Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church is that we would be relationally authentic. That means that we would engage in community where we're real, where we're transparent, where we're honest about our brokenness and our pain and our sadness and our grief and our loss. Now, there's two reasons we, we need to be vulnerable in community. First of all, your hope will be restored when you recognize that as you share, other people are given the freedom to share. And they'll share their brokenness and pain and grief and heartache and loss and you'll be strangely encouraged as you're reminded that you're not the only one suffering. As a matter of fact, you'll be reminded that Paul says that all of us who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and will suffer. And there's a strange kind of hope that is restored to our lives as we share together our brokenness and suffering and difficulty, as we realize we're not alone and we're not suffering because we've been bad, 
We're not suffering because we've done something wrong. We're suffering because God ordains it through his good providence for the transformation of our lives. See, some of us are going through just hard times right now and the yellow is draining out of our palates. But Paul wants us to be involved. God wants us to be involved in community that is transparent and vulnerable. And as we share that kind of sweet community, more and more yellow hope enters our lives. It's the theme of Scripture, folks. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other lifts them up. If one gets cold, they keep each other warm. But then it says, pity the one who falls and there's no one to help them up. Pity the one who's cold and there's no one to keep them warm. It's when we fall and when we're cold in particular that we can experience a sweetness of community. And in that community, we experience renewed I've seen that happen in my own life. As I've gone through, as we talked about this morning in the announcement, the Gospel Waltz journey, or another discipleship opportunity we have at our church uh, called Battle for the Heart. And as I've gone through with men, and we've become more and more honest and open as we trust each other, how hope springs out of the sharing of difficulties. The other reason we share is, listen, sometimes other people aren't going through what we're going through. There are seasons where so many things are going right. It's crazy. But guess what? I find it can actually be quite encouraging to be around people like that. You, know, you don't have to get mad at people like that. You don't have to wish they were going through all the garbage you're going through. Sometimes it's actually really great to be around somebody that, wow, They're just in a really sweet season, and that gives you hope, too. So get your hope renewed by being involved in community that is vulnerable, transparent, honest, and open. Secondly, hope is renewed in the sweetness community that is forged through service and mission. We're not just a broken community. We are to be a missional community. Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ at Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were involved and engaged in service and mission and ministry together. And the reason why some of us find the yellow draining from our canvas is because we're so self-absorbed. We're so self-consumed. We're so obsessed with the difficulties and problems and brokenness of our own lives. And we need to get out of ourselves and, and lock arms with other brothers and sisters and get involved in ministry. Oh my goodness, the community that is forged through missional service, 
Some of my deepest friendships have been forged and and begun and transformed on short-term mission trips. Being mugged on a Russian train with a bunch of buddies in in St. Petersburg as we were doing service there. Yeah, at the time it was a little scary, but afterwards, and we talk about it, oh, what hope of experiencing the protection of God and the wonder of God. Or even the hope, like the disciples, they, how they, they, they felt honored that they had the privilege of suffering for Christ. We have so many opportunities in small groups to become missional in your Battle for the Heart groups, in your Gospel Watch Journey groups, women's studies, men's studies, life groups. There's so many opportunities to lock arms and be engaged in mission. And as we engage together in mission, sweet community develops. And out of that sweet community, hope is restored. At Oak Mountain, we often talk about an illustration called the gospel aircraft carrier. And that the church is the aircraft carrier, the USS Oak Mountain, when it comes to our local manifestation of the body of Christ. And it's a floating city, right? And, and, and we are on that aircraft carrier, and, and, and we're all pilots, and we, we get on our aircraft, and we're catapulted off after having been refreshed, refueled, and retooled on the aircraft carrier. And then we go fly our missions of gospel love throughout the week, and we come back beat up and bloodied and bruised, and we barely are able to hit the ship. And the catapult grabs us, and we stop, and we crawl out, and we get refreshed, refueled, and retooled. And they were catapulted off again. Now, one of the dangers of this illustration is you can individualize it too much. Very rarely are you called as a pilot to fly solo. You will sometimes. But how many of us understand the term wingman? The term wingman assumes You're not flying alone. There's some other pilots flying alongside of you. They got your back. They're watching out for enemy aircraft because you're engaged with someone else. You might not be aware of your environment. The whole idea of a wingman means that we fly our missions in community. Are you involved and engaged in missional community? And if you find yellow draining from your canvas, if you find hope sagging, could part of the reason be you're so self-absorbed. You're so self-obsessed. You're so focused on your brokenness that you've forgotten about ministry. Look, we, we, we're called to be vulnerable and transparent and honest, yes. We are not called to sit around all the time, hold hands, and share our brokenness. That, that is not the Christian life. And don't let anybody tell you it is. 
Yes, we share our brokenness. And we call each other to the hope that is in Christ. And then we get out of ourselves. And amazingly, it's often sharing our brokenness with the lost (laughs) that leads to the most fruit and brings them hope as well. So hope is renewed in the sweetness of community shared in our pain and our grief and our loss. Hope is renewed in the sweetness of community forged through mission and service. And then thirdly, hope is renewed in the sweetness of community forged in corporate prayer. It's not only Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, but he also goes on to write, we, together, the three of us, he's still thinking in terms of the sweetness of community, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You get the idea that Paul and Silas and Timothy not only shared about their pain and grief and loss, and not only stepped out and were a missional community, but every opportunity they had, they stopped and prayed together. Few things will develop sweetness in community like corporate prayer. I've had the privilege for the past 32 years, every Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock, to meet with people in my office and we pray. I've had the privilege for the last 32 years every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock in my office to pray with other people and we pray. We pray with each other. We pray for each other. And that restores your hope. But guess what? we also go way beyond praying for each other. And we pray for others. We pray for all the nations of the earth. We pray for all of our ministry partners on all the nations of the earth. We pray for everyone else outside of us that we can think about. And again, that whole idea of getting out of ourselves is so healthy. It brings so much yellow back to the canvas of our stories. It brings so much hope. Are you involved and engaged in a prayerful community where you're being prayed for and you're praying for others? And then lastly, I want us to realize that hope is renewed in the sweetness of community by simply being engaged in the local church. You see, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are not the only people mentioned here. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Two to three months old in Jesus. That's all these people were. They didn't know anything And most of them were Gentiles. They didn't even know the Old Testament. They knew nothing. They're all alone. They got no teachers. But they had each other. And Paul writes, assuming that these new converts are gathering together 
in the local context and trusting that Jesus is going to meet them as they gather and renew their hope. Look, I know over the past few years, it has been hard to be engaged actively, to be involved intentionally in the local church. So many factors have mitigated against it. But we cannot continue this way. I saw a news story last night uh, that they're talking about the, the ramifications and the consequences of our young students, our young children, not being involved in the classroom. And they say in a couple decades, it could affect the entire world economy. It could affect industry itself as we know it. Now, if, if that's happening with children because they're not spending time in the classroom consistently, how much more is it true of Christians who are not actively engaged in their local church community? We were not meant to live the Christian life in isolation. And that is why Satan works overtime to keep us from gathering together. That's why the writer of the Hebrews, whoever he was, says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing. I see that happening in our, right before my very eyes through the pandemic. People are getting in the habit of not meeting together. And the consequences will be disastrous. Look, you can stream online, and I'm not hammering anybody that's streaming online. Hi, great to have you. But you can't commune online. You can't do it. You can hear a message online. You can watch a preacher online. You cannot have fellowship online. Like our social disruption conference is coming up. I encourage all of us to come. You talk about social media. You, you, there's no such thing as virtual community. It doesn't exist. Social media can tell you how many friends are following you. But those friends are not going to give you hope. Only proximity is going to give us hope. Sociologists are telling us that since the 80s in America, the number of people the average American says they can truly confide in is rapidly decreasing. Well, there goes the first element of the sweetness of community that adds hope. If we're not confiding, we're not being vulnerable. If we're not being vulnerable, we're not going to experience hope from others. Sociologists also tell us that the number of Americans who say they have no close friends is dramatically increasing. And just getting away as a family, that's not going to give you the hope that you need. 
in the pioneer days, late 1700s, early 1800s, as America moved west, the government decided to start selling plots of land very inexpensively. Huge plots of land. And people eager to own land scooped it up. And a strange phenomenon occurred. Initially, everybody built their houses smack dab in the middle of their plot of land. Why? Because they wanted to walk around their house and everywhere they look say, I own this. Photographers would sometimes go out west, take pictures of the families that have moved out. And they saw bizarre-looking men and wild-eyed women and hauntingly appearing children. The isolation was making them go crazy, literally. So very soon, the practice changed. They still sold these large plots but people began moving to the corners of other people's lots. And that's how main streets were formed. And that's how churches were planted. And that's how yellow entered people's lives. Many of you know I'm a Beatles freak, and a lot more of you know I'm a U2 freak. What you may not know is I also like Coldplay. And Coldplay, ironically, has a song called Yellow. It's a great song. I found it strange that the artist Van Gogh, Yellow, was the barometer of his hope. And this song Yellow by Coldplay is about this person that Chris Martin's either in love with or it's a dear, dear friend we don't know, but what we do know is that thinking about this person for Chris Martin makes everything yellow. And yellow in the song clearly refers to the same thing yellow refers to to Van Gogh, and that is hope. So the question I want you to wrestle with this week is if the state of your heart is on canvas, how much yellow is there? And in light of the message, what will you do to experience the yellow, the hope that only your Savior can dispense? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that the greeting is so unusual. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And that it points us to community. God, it's amazing that, that there's a sense in which we're even held back from experiencing hope in our fullest way. Until and unless we're engaged in community. I guess that means you're pretty serious about it. So God, help us to repent where we need to repent. 
Help us to make and stick to commitments if we need to fight the good fight of faith more effectively. But God, most of all, might we find ourselves hoping and trusting in Jesus more and more. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord, if they've got no yellow in their lives, except for maybe like Van Gogh, they, they see a little bit in the stars. God, may today be the day that they transfer their trust to Jesus and fill us all with hope and believing for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and hear the good word, the good word of hope that God promises to his people. Receive it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and